Sorry. Come. Hello? Okay. All right. Good to see you. If you're a guest here, my name's Steph. I help to lead the church here. Very, very warm welcome. Um, just in preparation of this message this morning, I was pondering and um, a few things, as you do, and uh, really dawned on me that we live in very uncertain times. I don't know whether all times are uncertain or whether our times are particularly uncertain, but certain things dawned on me. Number one, we live in certain uncertain times environmentally. I don't know how many of you have seen Al Gore's film, An Inconvenient Truth. Have you not seen that? Yeah. One? Okay. I'm really in touch in this. I've really got a finger on the pulse. It's really about global warming and the dangers of global warming. He's one of the, he would be one of the guys that would say it's a big deal. There's a lot of debate in the scientific community, but he would be one of the guys that say it's a massive deal. He would bring out certain facts like um, the, the, the ten hottest years in history globally have happened in the last 14 years. And various facts like that to say this is a bad news, this is a big deal. And there's an uncertainty there. Certain, science, uh, certain people in the scientific community scoff and say it's not a big deal, the, the climate's always changing, but there's definitely uncertainty there. Um, and in some camps, I would say a measure of alarm. We live definitely in uncertain times economically. Some of you here will be in situations where colleagues have been recently um, laid off. Maybe you, your own job is at risk. Um, maybe your company is starting a cutback. Unemployment's rising every month. And even though there's been the multi-billion payout with the banks, people are saying that we're actually just about to enter the recession and it could be a few years before we come out. So very uncertain times economically. Maybe you're feeling that particularly personally. Your finances is, is just thinking, okay, what's the plan here? Maybe you've got a big mortgage or whatever. We live in uncertain times politically. I think part of the frenzy over Barack Obama's um, victory is a symptom of the desperation and the disillusionment with world leaders and some of the decisions that have been made by them in the last few years. I think people are, people, people are desperate to see um, people in power that wouldn't be making different kinds of decisions. And so I think, although there are many reasons to celebrate, um, not that this is a political statement at all, but many reasons to celebrate his victory in terms of um, most definitely a new era for USA and its struggle historically with uh, racism and that kind of thing. I think it's a wonderful thing on that front. I think, who knows, who knows politically, we need to be sure that we do not look to anyone other than Jesus Christ to be the Messiah. Amen? It's very important. But this isn't Hebrews 12, that there will be a time of shaking, that, that, that actually God's going to shake everything that can be shaken, so only that which can't be shaken remains. And then goes on to refer to the kingdom of God as an unshakable kingdom. And so really, it's what the Bible says, everything's going to be shaken. It even goes as far as to say that the, the, heavenly, the heavenly host will be shaken and talks about you know, um, stars disappearing and all kinds of things. The Bible predicts you know, cosmic things in terms of a shaking that's going to happen. I mean, only God's kingdom will remain. And what, the reason I'm saying this is because if ever there was a chance for the church to shine... If ever there was a chance for a community to be marked by certainty and marked out by that, it's now. Now is not the time to be caught up in the uncertainty of the world. 
completely inappropriate for the church to do that. We don't know what the future holds, but as the good Christian cliche says, we do know who holds the future. And we do. And it's important that we keep that at the front of our minds, because Christians believe in the God of the Bible. Now again, you may be thinking, okay, well what's the God of the Bible like? Maybe you're new to this church stuff, maybe you, maybe you, you know, you've, you've been brought up with Christianity, but you've never actually thought for yourself, how, who is the God of the Bible? How is he revealed? There are certain things worth knowing before we even go anywhere this morning, and that's number one, that he's over history. That he stands astride of history. And that he orchestrates the rising up and bringing down of empires. That he's totally sovereign, that he's the beginning and the end. So he's completely over all things, but he's involved. He's not just, it's not the, the watchmaker thing, yeah? Wind it up and let it go. God is very involved in, in everything that goes on, down to the finest detail. That's the God of the Bible. And God works all things together for the counsel of his will. The Bible says that. And so those who believe in the God of the Bible should be completely unintimidated by the uncertainties of life. We're affected by them. Of course we are. We live in a fallen world. It affects us, but we shouldn't be intimidated or knocked off course or alarmed by it because we are looking, instead of me, as Dave said earlier, we are looking to, one, to the one who is going to create a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's our hope, isn't it? Our hope isn't that somehow the world is going to get better. It won't. But Jesus Christ is going to establish a kingdom which will last forever. There will be no more tears, sadness, death, dying, mourning. Yeah? And that's the day that we are looking for, and that, is, that governs, really, our own state. It says in the Bible, Psalm 2, God is God speaking, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God has established the king, and his name is Jesus. God's established him. And any other king or queen or president or emperor that comes and goes will merely be temporary and will be under the sovereignty of God. Only Jesus is the everlasting king. Now, the series that we're doing is a series on faith and unbelief. And we are four weeks in, and um, we're having a great time with it. I've, I've, I've received more feedback on this series than any. Um, two, I think we've done three so far. Two of them have failed to record <laughs> due to technical hitches. So I'm going to preach them to myself um, in the comfort of my own loft this week, and then we're going to put them onto the internet. <laughs> um, so think of me this week. At some point, I'll be preaching to the four walls. Um, with the little microphone going, um, just so we can get them on there. Because I know many of you have missed them and you, and you said that you wanted to hear them or hear them again, so we'll get them on there. Um, now, what is faith? Lots of confusion about it. It manifests in all kinds of ways, but one thing it always has about it is certainty and confidence. Faith, even in the middle of titanic struggles against doubt, fear, anxiety, what does the future hold, what's going on, why did that happen? Through it all, faith takes ground and faith wins. The Bible says that faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you don't see. Faith isn't believism. Faith isn't something you try and whip yourself up into so that you you try and convince yourself. Whenever you have to convince yourself about anything, it's a sure sign you're not convinced. Yeah? If you're having to work really hard at convincing yourself, you're not convinced. You haven't got faith. Faith is a certainty and it's given by God. It's a gift from God. Some victories that faith enjoys come quickly. Others are painfully slow but faith always wins. The story we're looking at during this series is the story of God's people who relinquished their confidence in God and exchanged it for unbelief. They gave up. They didn't hold on to their confidence in God. They swapped it instead for unbelief. So I'll tell the story rather than reading it because it's quite a very long story. We've read it week after week. It's the story of... um, the people of Israel in the wilderness, um, Moses has led them out through the Red Sea, through Egypt, into the wilderness, and um, 
really it's supposed to be a six-week journey into the promised land, but here, at a certain point in, they make a massive mistake. What happens is this. Moses says to the people, appoint 12 guys and send them into the promised land to spy it out, bring back a report. What's it like? What are the people like? What are the cities like? They go for 40 days to check it out. They come back and basically 10 of the spies say, we can't do it. It's too tough. We saw descendants of giants there. They have fortified cities and they begin to basically bring a bad report of the land. The other two spies say, it's good. Yeah, they're there. Yeah, there's fortified cities. But God said, it's for us. And Joshua and Caleb, who are the two spies, they say, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. I'm living with that verse. That is a wonderful, wonderful expression of faith. Let's get up at once. Let's not hesitate. Let's occupy it. We're well able to overcome. The other ten say, no way. And anyway, the congregation believes the ten instead of the two, because people tend to follow the majority, and they all start weeping and wailing, and all kinds of chaos happens. And in the end, God says, right, that's it. This whole generation, except for these two men, are going to die in the wilderness. What was supposed to be a six-week journey becomes a 40-year journey, and only two of the guys make it to the promised land. So we're in this series saying we don't want to be like the ten and the two, three million that followed them. We want that Joshua and Caleb spirit. Yeah? That's what we're after because we want to come into all that God has for us. So we're on symptom, we're looking at 15 symptoms of unbelief and the um, symptoms of faith that counteract them. Symptom number nine. Here we go. Are you ready? Yeah. Unbelief thinks that it's the circumstances that dictate the future. Faith knows the future hangs on God. If you've got your Bible with you, if you look in the book of Numbers, which is where this story is, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, fourth book in in your Bible, and you, all of you should have these little slips with these, uh, it's an outline of, this, of the message today, and there's little verses to meditate on throughout the week. If you're stuck, what am I going to read in my Bible this week? Use this little slip of paper, keep it in your Bible, and flick to some of these to meditate on this week, because they're very in line, and I'm going to be referring to all of them as I preach today. Look at what happens. Numbers chapter 14, the first four verses. Just as the congregation hear the bad report of the twelve spies. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt. Or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They begin to predict the future. You see that in there? They begin to say what's going to, they're prophesying. This is what's going to happen to us now. Not out of faith, out of unbelief. People do that, they prophesy out of unbelief. Oh, I know that's going to go all wrong now. You know, that sort of stuff, that kind of talking. You're predicting the future. You don't know what's going to happen, but you're speaking out of your unbelief. That's what they start to do here. The bottom line is this, they're not impressed with God. And I want to ask you this question today. Christian, are you impressed with the Lord? It's a very important question to be able to answer. Because my experience is that very often even Christians are more, ex- more impressed with their circumstances than they are with God. They talk about them loads more and constantly worrying about them. And they haven't got time to pray because they're too busy worrying. And uh, quiet times, devotion times become times of worrying before the Lord. Now biting. I'm not speaking in a judgment away. I've known this in my own life. But I think something can happen where your vision of God gets obscured. And you still believe in him, but actually in reality, your horizon is filled with circumstances which look like they could be a little bit tricky. 
In the passage I just read out, the Israelites do not refer once to God. They don't even refer to one thing that the Lord has promised them. It's like they've gone totally silent on it. Completely silent. They're convinced that their own future and the future of their loved ones hangs on what they can see with their eyes. Faith knows the future hangs on God. I hope you know this today. It's not random. God is orchestrating all things together. And I'm not being foolish. You might think, this guy's naive. There will be trials in the Christian life, pressures, opposition, there'll be tears, there'll be seasons of the valley and all of that, totally. But in it all, God reigns. It's so important you understand that. Not just as a theological art, no, but you understand it and it absorbs into your heart. My God reigns. God is over this particular trial, this particular season. It's ever so important. Sometimes we spend so much time even telling God about our obstacles. But I want to ask you a question. Do you ever spend any time telling your obstacles about God? It's a good thing to do. Not that you don't do the first, but you do the second. In fact, it's always, start with pouring your heart out to God. Tell him how it is, absolutely. But move on from there to a sense of being impressed with who God is. It's ever so important. Your prayers are filled with truth of who God is because it does your soul the world of good. The character of God should be foremost in your mind and foremost in your heart and foremost in your prayers because it's God's character that is actually foremost in every circumstance that comes your way. God's behind it. Even the tough things God will not happen without God's permission. Listen to Psalm 121. You'll love this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you, now that word keeps is very important. It means hedges you about, guards you, protects you, attends to you. He who keeps you will not slumber. You can sleep at night because he won't. Yeah? Beautiful, isn't it? Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun won't strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Six times we're told in that tiny psalm that the Lord will keep you. He will. If you've entrusted yourself into his hands, he will keep you. He, he, underneath are the everlasting arms. And when everything else falls away and you're faced with uncertainty and what's going to happen next, he will keep you 24-7. You need to be impressed with that and moved by that. The Bible says, Psalm 56 verse 8, every tear we cry is kept in his bottle. Every tear you weep, every tear of sadness, every tear of anxiety, every tear of mourning, he keeps in his bottle and he marks in his book. Psalm 56 verse 8. He knows and he cares. Just because his timing and his ways are unexpected, he is still faithful. And your future is safe in his hands. I wish I could say that a thousand times without boring you. Because a lot of what I see very often, as being a pastor, you see people and it's like they're not convinced their future is safe in his hands. That's a massive one to come through on. And I don't think you come through on it once and then it's done. I think you keep coming through on it. I think it's something you keep coming through on. You might say, what about the believers in the Congo at the moment? Or the believers in Iraq? Or Afghanistan? You're saying the Lord will keep you. How does that 
work. There's believers there too. There is. Remember what I said earlier. You live in a fallen world, you get affected by it. You get hit by it. By all kinds of angles. You live in a war zone, you're living in a war zone. You live in an economic crisis, you're going to get hit by it. You don't just transcend circumstance. That is untrue. You work out your relationship with God in the middle of circumstances. And on one hand, it could, I guess, sound glib for me to speak into a situation like the Congo and believe me, I, I don't do it from a glib spirit at all. It's one of those, it's a terrible thing that's going on over there. And my heart, as I'm sure yours is, is with the people. But at the end of the day, when all is said and done, we must be confident that God's grace is able to meet us in whatever situation. In fact, I read an article recently about someone who travelled to the Congo and he referred, just in passing, to a woman enjoying her morning devotions with the Lord. He said, he said don't think songs of praise, think Aretha Franklin. <laughs> That's great. Just this image of this woman in this terrible situation, but just enjoying God. God is able to make all grace abound. Whatever your circumstance, his grace is sufficient. Listen to, listen to Paul in a Roman cell. Could be imprisoned there for life, right into the Philippians. Listen to what he says. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened by anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The early church was forged in the fires of opposition, in the fires of persecution, in the fires sometimes of violence and martyrdom. And here Paul says this, you're part of your calling, don't be frightened. Don't be frightened. Your peace in the middle of that is a beacon shining out the fact you're saved. That you're not alarmed by these things. Anxiety and fear should not be allowed to govern the Christian. We are all assailed with anxious thoughts and fearful. Sometimes you, know, you can get into it, you can get into a weird thing where you catch yourself and for the last 15 minutes you've been daydreaming about something terrible that could happen. You know, we all do things like that. It happens to each of us. But when you spot it, you've got to hold up your shield of faith. So I'm not going to come under that because they get like flaming darts from the evil one, looking to bring you into a real sense of just living under fear. And once you start living in fear, you start living selfishly. You're living in fear, you live selfishly. Guarantee it. Because your home mode is protect myself, rather than living in faith. Don't be like the ten, be like the two. Look at Jesus for just a minute. He's before Pilate. At this stage, I think he's, he's, he's definitely received some abuse, physically, Lots of abuse verbally. Lots of attempted intimidation. He's about to be crucified. He's about to be flogged. And he, Pilate's asking him these questions and he just doesn't answer. And Pilate says, don't you, don't you realise I've got the power to, to put you to death? You know what Jesus says to him? He looks him in the eye and he says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. He's totally aware of the sovereignty of God. He's totally aware that this whole thing is in God's hands. And as a result, he's completely unintimidated. Completely. What a model. What a model. He went to the cross. I mean, it was chaos. The disciples ran. They're panicking. One man ran naked because someone tried to grab him. You know the thing you do when you're playing had at school and 
and someone grabs it and they grab the coat and you just slip out of it and keep running. It was that, but with the cloak. You know, it, was, uh, it wasn't good. But it was just panic. It was chaos. It was chaos. Everyone's scared. One minute, Peter's cutting off someone's ear with a sword. The next minute, he denies he knows Jesus. There's fear in the air. The whole way through it, Jesus is completely unintimidated. And even if you read right behind the narrative, he's setting things up so that it happens. What is this? Totally confident in the will of the Father. He had to get to the cross. Why? So he could die for your sins. So he could die for your sins. So you could be forgiven and reconciled with God. He had to get there. And he knew, just follow the Father's will. Don't panic. Don't flip out. Which is going to bring me to the next symptom. Unbelief leads to rash and regretful actions. This is massive. And we may end up spending the rest of the morning here. We'll see how we go. 14 verse 4. Listen to this. They said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. That is what you call a rash action. Yeah? That is what you call silly. Really, really silly. Why? Why? why, why? I mean, what would make you do... If, let's look at Moses for a minute. God is clearly with him. When he comes down from the mountain, his face glows so they can't look at him. He has to wear a veil because he's shining. Right? God speaks to... Moses' sister Aaron and his, uh, sister Miriam and his brother Aaron complain and mumble against him. The next thing Miriam knows, her arm's covered in leprosy. It's called the judgment of God. Right? God is massively with Moses. There's a cloud of pil- a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, constantly with them, representing the presence of God. All right, this Moses is God's man. He's anointed. It's clear. He does miracles. He bangs the ground and sees open. God's with him. And then they're saying, "Why don't we just kind of let's just come do a little ballot? Let's just get someone doing." What are you thinking? How do you get from that to that unbelief? When you're in unbelief and fear, you do ridiculous things. You do ridiculous things. Faith sticks to the plan. There's a lot to be said for sticking to the plan. How much heartbreak I have. Not just as a pastor, but as a Christian. I've been a Christian 18 years. Precious brothers and sisters have done ridiculous things. And you look on thinking, what on earth are you doing with your life? Because God didn't answer a certain prayer in the way he thought they would. God didn't give a particular boyfriend or girlfriend. God didn't do a particular thing in the way... (laughs) (laughs) Right? We're born into. Agreed. Some of us are just born into pain-filled situations. And the things we go through are nothing to do with us in that sense. Others of us, just things happen. Things happen, horrible things. You get attacked, you're a victim of crime, abuse. What Things happen. So I totally understand that and I'm completely sympathetic with that. But what I do know is this as well. There are many things, many of our woes and our pains and our difficulties actually come out of the fact that we do not trust the Lord. But that we run ahead or we lag behind or we think we know better. We must not do that. 
you will forfeit some of the things that God has for you. You will. It's not that he won't forgive you. Of course he will. As you repent, of course he will. And restore you, of course he will. But you spend ten years in the wilderness or whatever, you've forfeited ten years of fruitfulness, haven't you? That's just maths. Come on, guys. Please. I don't know what temptation... I'll just feel my spirit. Some of you, you're facing temptations. Ask the question. If I was in faith, if I was trusting that God knows better than me, that he is wise, that he is for me, what would I do? And then do that. Please. Okay? You must say, how do I know that I'm, how do I know that I'm, you know, that I'm making rest choices now out of faith? You'll have no peace. Peace will be robbed. Your conscience will be troubling you. You'll be trying to justify it. Real loud. <laughs> to try and silence that. <laughs> oh, it's good. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> no, no, I won't do. Don't get religious about it either. <laughs> you can't sanctify folly. Okay? <laughs> So, well, I'll just, well, I'll fast as well. No, if you know what you should and shouldn't be doing, please just obey and eat as much as you like. But obey. <laughs> Spiritualizing disobedience is ridiculous. It doesn't work. Silly. What is sin? Romans 14, verse 23. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. There you go. Make sure you're living in faith. Trust him. If, you, if you're a believer, keep on trusting him. If you're not a believer, why don't you just trust him for the first time? Put your life into his hands. What am I promising you? Well, I'm promising you that he will never let you go. That's what I'm promising you. He will never let you go. I can't promise you much more than that. Because I don't know what his plan is for you. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Won't be. Won't be. You'll be flowing against, you'll be swimming against the flow. It'll cost you and all of that. But you'll know forgiveness, reconciliation with God, adoption as one of his children, eternal life as a gift, relationship with God. You'll know what it is, the joy of being caught up in the main plot, the main story, what this life's about, which is Jesus, instead of trying to make your own life the main plot, when it isn't. You'll know the glory of, the glory of what it is to follow God. I promise you that, without a doubt. Jesus stuck to the plan. Listen to Jesus. This is, this is written about 700 years before Jesus came. But it's about Jesus. It's Jesus speaking. I gave my back to those who strike, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I've not been disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like a flint, and I know I won't be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let's stand up together. Who's my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. There he is having his back whipped. He's having his beard pulled out. He's being called names and he's being spat on. And he says, the Lord God helps me. That's faith. That's faith. You stick to the plan. You stick to the plan. Why did Jesus do that? Because he loves you. And because sticking to the plan, there's no point trying to... You, you, the reason why Jesus did all that is because we're all sinners and we need someone to stand in our stead and die in our place so we can be forgiven. That's why Jesus did that. So we get that forgiveness and new life as a gift. He's earned that for us. But then once we're joined to him, he says, right, come on now, follow me. Let's walk in faith together. What's the plan? Walk humbly with God. Love justice and righteousness and seek his kingdom first. 
Seek his kingdom first. We've got two <laughs> there's two more two more symptoms down here. We're not gonna we're not gonna get to them. We're not gonna get to them. I pick one. I will do one more. <laughs> Unbelief idealizes the past. Faith is sober. Listen, fourteen verse three. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and little ones will become a prey. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Let's talk about Egypt. Alright, let's talk about Egypt. How we are so great in Egypt, because they used to, uh, all your baby boys would be killed and thrown in the River Nile. Great. Yeah? Uh, you're oppressed and you're slaves and whipped and all of that, and really you're totally hated by everyone. Let's go back to Egypt. What are you thinking? When you find yourself in a trial and you lose sight of God, do you know what the next thing you do? The next thing is you look inside your inside pocket for your rose tinted glasses, you pull them out, you put them on, and you look backwards and you go, oh, it was much better then. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't better then. You think it was, but it was. Why do you think it was? Because you have a selective memory and you forget the bad things. That's why. Listen to Ecclesiastes 7, verse 10. If I can find it. Say not. Why were the former days better than these? It is not wisdom that you ask this. There you go. <laughs> is it biblical? Yes. Okay. It's, don't, it's crazy to look back. and say, oh, it's much better then. Why do we do that? I'll tell you why we do that. Because we begin, our hearts begin to melt at the pressure of the current situation. And so we begin to look back. Instead of that, draw near to God and take courage. Yeah? Don't bury your head in the sand. Don't turn your head backwards. What does the Apostle Paul say? I forget what's behind and I strain on to what's ahead. Sometimes you've got to strain on. You've got to push through these fires of trial, opposition. The Holy Spirit is with you. Push through. Push. I'm not talking here about, you know, kind of you know, the power of the human spirit. No, the Holy Spirit. Right, this isn't a help yourself kind of a self-help seminar. This is lean into God. What does Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. Come near to Jesus when you're in this situation. Draw near to him. We're told of Jesus that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He was looking that way. For the joy set before him. Imagine it, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross is looming, he could have started thinking back to the fun times, all the miracles, the healings, the parties, the weddings, dinner at, dinner at Mary and Martha's, all the warm memories come flooding back. You could just think, Scarpa, run. Yeah, no. Mustn't do that. All of that was preparation for this moment. And who knows, maybe the moment you're in now, is a key moment for you. And as you come through it, God will enlarge your shoulders, he'll broaden you out, and he'll bring you into something in him that you could never have imagined. Who knows? Who knows? God's looking for faithfulness. He's looking for you to trust him. He's looking for, and he'll open the doors to new things when it's good and ready. He will. He'll bring it about. He'll make it clear. So don't panic. I'm just ending with this one last story. And I've said this a few times, but it's just helpful because it was significant for us as a family. Before we moved over here, we were 
we, we, we had three children and it was in a one-bedroom flat. And it was just hard. You know, and we lived next to, next to a nocturnal DJ, right? We did. It was a block of flats. So it was just hard. It was a season of real pressure. And Southwark Council would have paid us to move up north and they would have given us a house with a garden. Um, and it, it, there were times, you know, you just thought, this, you know, it's like, what, what can I do? And, you know, I couldn't do anything. Didn't have the money to do anything. And God wasn't providing anything in that sense. And it's like, what do we do? And, you know, we knew that the best thing to do was not to do anything. Yeah? Because it would be coming out of fear, unbelief, panic, make, it our, make our own way. I mean, the best thing we could do would just be to sit tight and stand in the pressure. I'm so glad we did. Because I'm convinced that some of the things God's entrusting us now with, and he's going to entrust us with, came out of that season there. And if we flipped out there, would it take us, you know, God will take you around the lap. You flip out now, he'll take you around the lap again. Until you learn it. He will. Yeah, it's true. If you're a good parent, if my kids don't get something, I'm not going to then trust them more, yeah? So if we, if we go for a walk and one of them insists on keep running into the road, yeah? I'm not going to say, right, now you can go to the shop by yourself. I'm not going to do that. It's crazy. But if one of them, there's a sense of, they get, they get in the hang of this, then it'll come a time and say, right, go on, round you go. Shop by, yeah, why? Because they've, they've demonstrated they're ready for that now. Be faithful in the season that you're in. Be faithful. Max it out, like Dave preached last week. Max it out, wherever you're at, wherever you're doing, if you think it's not very impressive, max it out for the glory of Jesus as if no one's looking except Jesus. Don't be a man pleaser. That's not working hard when people come along so you look good. No, don't do that. Horrible, horrible hypocrisy. Don't do it. Live before Jesus. That's worship. Amen? Let's pray. Father, there's so much, there's so much to draw out, so much richness to draw out from this one subject of faith, trust in you. It's just staggering. And we want to build well. We want to build well as a church community, but we want to build well individual lives as well. And these people here, they're in my heart today. And I know, Lord, more than that, they're in your heart. I want to pray, Lord, for every soul here, every precious soul here, I pray for those that do know you, that they do have a relationship with you. God, that you would help them to trust you. That you would help them to stand in the pressure. That you'd help them not to act out of unbelief, not to give way simply to the circumstances, but to maintain a robust view of you before their mind and heart. And I pray for those here, Father, who don't know you yet. I want to pray that you would so open up the eyes of their heart and reveal yourself to them that you would win them. That you would just win them. That they would come to you, Jesus, the crucified man, and lay their burden of sin at the cross and take your righteousness in exchange. I pray for that, Lord. I pray win people to you. Even today. Even today, I pray. Amen. We're going to take bread and wine.